Welcome, everybody. Bless you tonight. I'm so delighted to be here again this week with you. Thank you for the opportunity. I love you guys, and I'm so grateful for your faithfulness, so grateful for your heart, for your character, for the strength that you minister in in these really challenging days. And so faithful people are, are, are hard to come by these days, faithful leaders, I should say. I love the Bible. Well, first of all, I, I mean, you're hoping I love the Bible, but I, I really do. I love the Bible. First of all, I need to be accountable because I gave you a dare. I gave you a double dare. We went to double dare dog dare. You know, you reminded me of that, man. I haven't heard that one in a long time. I forgot about that. I gave you a dare, and I want to be accountable because I, don't ask, I, I try not to ask people to do stuff that I'm not going to do. And uh, John, I don't know, were you, were you on that webcast on Thursday with me? You were. So some lady actually wrote me after that webcast and told me this ter disastrous story of things that she was facing. And, and so she said, could you call me? I called her and it became really clear in just a little bit that she didn't know the Lord. So I said, if I say the word gospel to you, what is that? What, what, what do you understand if I say that? And her answer was just super vague. And so I said, w would you allow me to share the gospel with you? It only took me two or three minutes. And I, she said, yeah. Okay, so here's the crazy thing. So I, she was, her heart was so hungry, and she, she, it was clear she'd been seeking the Lord. And so I said, w would you like to receive Christ? I led her to Christ over the phone driving to a doctor's appointment. Now, that doesn't, listen, I, I don't want you to think that, you know, gee, this magical guy just goes out and he does it. That doesn't happen, okay? I've, I don't know if I've ever led somebody to the Lord on the phone in my life, okay? But here I was telling you about one of my neighbors as well last week, right? Told you I'd been sharing, we've been talking a little bit. Well, today we went out for a ride. We, we cycled together a bit. And he just keeps opening up. Comes from a Jehovah's Witness background as a child, deeply wounded, deeply scarred. But he just keeps opening up. It's like, you know, dude, why do you keep setting this up? Like he's just serving up the, you know, if you would, he's serving up the ball at the net, so to speak. And so today I said to him, as I said to you guys, I said, hey, if I, if I say the word gospel, what does that mean to you? And, you know, he was, uh, you know, a, a little broader. He was thinking of the Great Commission kind of thing, actually. And I said, well, what about in a personal sense? Well, he didn't know. I said, can I share the gospel with you? This is my next-door neighbor, okay? And, and I, I didn't say afterwards, do you want to receive Christ? Why? Because I feel like with him, I'm not yet sure he's seeking to the level that that other woman clearly was. So it's part of it's discernment, right? It's just knowing and discerning. So I, I just wanted to be accountable with you in, in that sense. And I hope that if you haven't, hey, that's not a one-off, you know, kind of dare. Let's, let's keep that dare alive, man. Let's do it. But I love the Bible. I, I really do. I love the Bible. I treasure the Bible. Uh, I've loved it since a teen. Uh, I came to Christ, you, you've heard my story, I came to Christ at the age of 17, I, I started getting in the Word, it's never stopped, okay? 
And so I've read it, I've memorized it. Unfortunately, my brain, my goodness, I still work at memorization, but my brain doesn't hold it like I wished it would, but I just believe it's worth it. Why do I love the Bible? Because the Bible answers questions about everything in life, okay? And it gives us understanding about everything. It gives us understanding about the hard stuff, okay? The, the difficult stuff, the challenging stuff. Tonight, we're going to talk about two issues that w- one of it is, you know, I mean, some of it, b- both of it could be considered hard, okay? I, I want to try to work it and, and, and try to straighten out maybe some, some thinking, and, and maybe your thinking's not needing straightening out at all, but the text actually is dealing, we're, we're, in, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, your pastor gave me leeway to preach on anything on the second coming of Christ. There's about three or four messages in there, and I was really wrestling. It's like, which one do I go for? I love them all. But uh, um, we're going to talk about death and the second coming, okay? And so, because that's what the text talks about. And even though death can be, a, you know, I mean, it can be a, kind of an intimidating, frightening, like, why would we want to talk about that? Oh, because it's so important, right? <laughs> Can I give you an amazing statistic? One out of one die. It's just it. It's going to impact us all unless we're taken away, which we're going to talk about tonight as well, okay? But I want, you to, I, I wanna, I want us to get in touch with when, when, when was the first time that you actually got in touch with or encountered death in your life how old were you i was seven or eight years old when i when i first was conscious i was younger than that my my great great grandfather died probably before this i wasn't really in touch with it this this time i was seven or eight years old the the funeral was like an hour and a half from our house. We're driving. I'm the youngest in my family, so I got an older brother, an older sister, and my mom. We're driving into this funeral, and like we're, you know, the three of us kids are asking questions. And I don't know that my mom was, you know, and I don't I don't fault her in this. I'm not saying this in any sort of condemning kind of thing, but I don't know that she was in touch with just how impacted we were. And how much this conversation was really heavy on us. We were asking her all kinds of questions. Because my Uncle Ernie, it died of cancer. And, and so um, <coughs> I had no way of knowing how, how much my little heart at seven or eight years old was, was struggling with feelings that I'd never experienced before. I mean, this is part of the journey, right? As a little kid, you don't even know what you're feeling, and you don't know why you're feeling it, but you are feeling it, right? That day, without knowing what was about to happen, a tidal wave of emotions were going to come across me with the force of a tsunami. And, and yet I had no idea that this was going to happen, okay? I, I actually, when, when the guy, st- when the pastor stood, and he just read my, he just spoke out my uncle's name, Ernest Householder. I just was overwhelmed. And I was sitting probably in the second or third or fourth row. I was part of the family. 
And I just got up and I ran out the door. I burst into tears. I'm seven or eight years old. And, and I was so distraught. What, 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 what had hit me so hard? As a seven or eight-year-old kid, I was overwhelmed with this thing called grief, which I had no understanding of. Grief and loss. And why, was I, why, why had the grief hit me so hard? Because my uncle was gone, and I had no hope of ever seeing him again. My little heart couldn't bear that thought that I would never see him again. I, I love the fact that you guys have a lot of kids here in the church, small ones. And I, just a w quick word to you moms and dads that are here. The subject of death obviously can be very, very distressing and difficult to have with kids. And yet it's, it's such an important one to have even when it feels hard for you. And you don't actually know all the things to say. I think that it's a conversation that if you'll lean in and actually trust God, you'll see the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart because it'll start to work in you. And it'll start to help you and it'll start to show you. It's really important that you're very patient with your children and that you allow them to be uncomfortable and to express what they're thinking and feeling and even bring it out and that you show a lot of humility in the conversation. Because it's not easy to understand. And if you show yourself to be safe in those kinds of conversations, you'll get a whole lot more conversations as you go. The truth is death can be a very distressing conversation for many adults. Right? How about you? Do you find it hard? Are you finding it hard even right now? Is, is this maybe a little disturbing for you? Some of you it might be, and that's okay. If that's where you're at, the Lord's going to help you. Because here's the truth. The good news is, is that if you are afraid of death or you're distressed over death or you struggle with death, that can actually change right here tonight. It actually can. My little mom, I, I, so here I am. I'm six, in case you're wondering, I'm six, six foot four. And uh, I had a mom who was barely five foot nothing. <laughs> she's this little dinky gal and I don't know how she ended up with me but she did anyhow she had this very strange idea about death she would say if you want to overcome your fear about death you have to touch a dead person and it's like okay like any dead person or a specific dead person or where would this happen And I used to think when I was a small boy, I used to think, that is absolutely crazy. Like, that is the last thing I'm ever going to do is touch a dead person. And yet the truth is, my mom wasn't entirely wrong. She wasn't entirely wrong. Overcoming a fear of death does have something to do with a dead person but not you touching him, him touching you. He once was dead. He's now alive. When he touches you, you'll never fear death again. 
Amen. Hey, let's pray before we go any further. Father, as we, uh, as we come to worship, and we're worshiping, we've been worshiping, and we're going to continue to worship. We've sung, now we're going to worship through the word. We're praying, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak, that you'd lead, that you'd move. Our hearts are open. Our hearts want to hear. Our hearts want to understand what the word of God says to us in this day and this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how about if we do what we did last week? How about if we stand and read the word together, out loud together? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, you're with me now? Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to encourage one another with these words tonight. Amen? Amen. And these are actually encouraging words because they give us clarity about what's going to happen and what's, what, what's going to take place. So just, just to start off with, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to straighten out a few facts surrounding death. And again, you might not be struggling with them, but... This is what the text is actually dealing with, is that there was a confusion. The Thessalonian church, back there in the first century, was confused with what happened to people once they died. What, 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 what was the deal? And, and so this, this was something that Paul is actually straightening, straightening out. So the first thing that we're going to see in terms of straightening some facts out is the, the first fact is, Believers are not to grieve like unbelievers, okay? There's a difference. There's a difference between believers and unbelievers when it comes to grief. Grief, of course, is feelings of intense sadness or sorrow over significant loss. The word grief describes a normal emotional process of intense sadness and sorrow human beings go through when they experience significant loss. It's normal. In fact, if you don't actually have feelings of sadness and sorrow over the loss of significant realities in your life, that's revealing something's been broken a bit inside, okay? The other thing that I want you to understand is that grief is not just over death, it's over loss, and the reality of it is, is that significant loss can happen in a number of places. You can lose a job, a career, a house, a church, a significant relationship, a divorce, or a failed dream. The reality is, is that there are people who are grieving things that they don't know that they're even grieving. 
They've had losses that have hurt them deeply, and yet they've never actually entered into the grieving process. The grieving process is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing that God designed for you and I when we do it properly and actually enter into the grieving process, we come out healthy. When we block it all, when we turn our back on it, when we shut those feelings down, when we try to get on with life, you actually cause things inside you to get all twisted up and mixed up. And it can, it can actually turn into you having other emotional issues that anger and things of this nature start coming out because you haven't dealt with properly with your grief it's such an important thing okay death brings grief to all human beings alike but the apostles point is that the grief of a believer needs to be different than that of an unbeliever this is the main point and that and that for one specific reason why is our grief different than unbelievers grief and there's one reason the one reason is a little thing called hope. Okay? Let me see here. I'm not moving for some reason. Let me go there and see if that, that'll do it. We, we, people who are unbelievers don't have hope. Now, the fact is, is that hope Hope is a critical thing here. Just before I go any further on that, I, I, want, I want to say this. In relationship to grief, and, and the fact is, is that it's not to say that believers don't grieve, okay? Or that believers aren't supposed to grieve. Some people, some people get that confused and mixed up and go, oh, you know, if you're a believer, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't be sorrowful. You shouldn't... You shouldn't be so upset. No, that's a mistake. That's not what the text is saying. The fact is, is that if you do not grieve the loss of loved ones, it, again, it's revealing something inside of you. you. You should be upset. You should be sorrowful. It should hurt to lose them. But we grieve as those who have hope, right? We have hope. And why is, it, why is it that we have hope, friends? We, we have hope. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, hope, hope deals fear a death blow. And, and what is the death blow? It is, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There's the death blow. Jesus has overcome death. There's the blow. We're not, we're not held down or held back by the fact that we're afraid of what's going to happen. Be, the apostle is saying because Jesus died, because he was buried, because he rose again, you can know that you will too. You can have that hope that though you go in the ground, you'll come out of the ground just as he did. And that's, 
the delineating marker right there, right? Now, hope is, is, is different than wishing, you know, or crossing your fingers. The hope we're talking about, as I've just said, is based on a reason. And that reason is the death, burial, and resurrection. You know, the apostle says in another place in, in the book of Corinthians, he says that if Jesus didn't die, wasn't buried, and didn't rose again, if he didn't do those things, then we above all people are most miserable, right? Because the whole thing is useless. But the fact is, we believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most substantiated facts in all of history. I mean, up to now, we're trying to re rewrite history and revision history, but the fact is, all of our timeline has been based on before Christ and since his death, B.C. and A.D., Adodomini, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All of, all of history, all of the cycles. I mean, what are the, what are, what are the two greatest holidays on, on, on the earth? Christmas, his birth, and Easter, his death. Celebrated all around the globe, right? So we have this hope. Now, now notice that the text says, those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay, so we're clearing something up here. Those who have fallen asleep in him. The apostle is using sleep as a metaphor, almost a euphemism for, for death. It's a great illustration. Do you know why it's such a great illustration? It's such a great illustration because you do it every night. You'll do it in about three hours. You're going to die tonight. You've never thought about it like this, have you? Perhaps you haven't. Maybe you have. You're going to actually, in a few hours, go and get yourself ready for bed, brush your teeth, comb your hair, do whatever you do, and then you're going to go and lay yourself out horizontal. Some of you are actually going to some of you are actually going to cover your hands over your chest and you're going to be gone. And then you're going to get raised again. Every night that happens. Every night you go into a sleep where you are virtually you know, even though your your brain is active and you're you're doing the dreaming thing and all that kind of thing, but virtually you're un almost unconscious. You go into this unconscious state, and you love it. What do you look? Wait, you look. What do you look forward to? When do I get to go to bed? When do I get to go to sleep? What What do we even say? I'm dead tired, right? If you had a great sleep, what do you say? I was dead to the world. Didn't hear a thing, right? Oh, my goodness. So it, it's an amazing thing. Now, so what he's describing here, and this, this is a bit of a, I, this is a piece here in this conversation that has a little bit of debate to it. it, it he's describing something that theologians have called soul sleep. Those who have died in him. 
those, so what is it describing? It's describing someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they have died. Now they are resting in this soulful rest, awaiting for the Lord to actually call them up or out. There's two views on this. One is what I've just given you. It's called soul sleep. That somehow, just like every night when you're asleep, you are trusting that God's hand, his protection is on your life. And for 65 years now, I've awakened every, every morning, been rose, rose from the dead. But one day I won't. One day I won't wake up again. Where will I be? Well, there's two views. One is that I'll be a soul sleep under the protection of Jesus Christ. Others believe that the moment that you die, you are in the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to go into the further arguments. Happy to talk to you about how both of these weigh out. Either way, you're in the Lord, and either way, the Lord has you. So I don't think you have to wrestle with that. And the reality of it is, is every night it happens. Number three, the, uh, okay, I've already described that one. Those, th- those who have died in the Lord get to go first. That's what the text actually says, verse 16 and 17. The dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have believed and have passed away, they are the first to get pulled out of the earth. After that, we who are still alive and are left are going to go to be with the Lord. But it's interesting that there's a, there, there is an order here. Those that, that went first are going to be risen first, and then those of us who are still on the earth when he comes, which actually tells us that there will be believers on the earth when he comes. Important point. Okay? Important, important issue. Okay? All those who have died in faith, whether they were those who were living in the Old Testament, okay? Because here we have this reality that from the beginning of time, go back to Adam. Then we go from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then all the lineages. So so we have all these people who actually were before us for thousands of years, not millions and certainly not billions. Do you know where the Jewish calendar is right now, the Orthodox calendar is? 5,878 days, something like that, from the beginning of time. I find that very interesting. Anyhow, all those in the Old Testament who are looking forward to Christ, who are believing by faith that the Messiah is coming, they all died in that faith, but they had not met Christ, right? They are under this covering and this blessing. They look forward to Christ. You and I are looking backward to Christ. Right? While we look to this truth, all of them 
who were living in faith and believing for the Messiah are going to be raised, as are all who have placed their faith in Christ at this time. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, in the air. And here's the key. And so will we be with the Lord forever. There again, you have the assurance of eternity. Amen? Of eternity. Now the text closes out, okay? The, the text closes out. Um, let me go back here just a second. The text closes out with these, these two verses, 16 and 17, which I've just read to you. And in 16 and 17, as we transition into the second part of this conversation, so we put death aside now. Now we're moving to the, to the conversation of the second coming of Christ, okay? In these two verses, 17 and 18, uh, this the subject that we're talking about, about the second coming of Christ, there's so much speculation and debate and even controversy as much or more over these two verses than anything else about the, the coming of Christ, okay? And so we've got to understand tonight that there are different beliefs of how this is going to work out and, and my encouragement to you would be to be gracious and to be humble and to allow for different beliefs. You might have come here tonight with some very strong beliefs about how this is going to work out. And God bless you for it. I can respect you for that. But I want you to know that there are millions of believers who have studied this a lot of time and have different ideas of not if it's going to happen. No. It isn't an if question. The speculation isn't about if it's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. The theological term that we're talking about right now in this conversation is a $10 word called eschatology. Okay? Eschatology is the study of what we call end times the end of time obviously are there any end times buffs here tonight <laughs> I think I, I shared with you that, that when I became a Christian back in, in the middle ages the 70s that, that the, end, the conversation of the end times was what Every church was talking about. Oh, my goodness, it was everything. Uh, predictions of the Antichrist, everything. Yeah. Everywhere you went, this was the teaching, okay? Now, strangely, the closer we get to the end times, the less we talk about it and teach about it. Where do you go to find a message on the end times, the second coming to Christ? Where do you go? I, I don't know. People, yes, there you go, it, 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 exactly, in a church like this. Okay, 
The end times is a topic that has captured the imagination of millions of believers throughout the centuries. The amazing thing is the Holy Spirit gave this teaching on end times in such a brilliant way that each century of believers has felt as though they would be the last. That's the brilliance of the word of God right up to this present day. And that has helped to provide believers not only with the motivation to live godly lives, but to witness to others. Listen, the, the reality of the end times teaching ought to be a motivation for us to share our faith. And here's the thing that I think that we are so sadly missing right now. And, and I don't say it in the way... Boy, I, I hope you, that you don't receive it, you know, things that I say as condemnation or as, as a rebuke or a, a smackdown. I don't mean it like that. But the reality is, is that things are happening so fast and so rapidly right before our eyes. Every day, stuff is happening and coming out, even since I've been with you. You know, last week I said, and this stuff, here's the thing. We go back to that word hope. Listen, the reason why you and I aren't all freaked out and upset and scared and pulling our hair out and going, ah, is because we have hope. The reason that we are are still secure and we have our wits about us and we have our confidence is that we know we're going home. In fact, that's why we're here. We understand that he's coming to get us. And while we're here, we're supposed to be about his work. So so there shouldn't be any fear at all. But here's the thing, friends. So what did I tell you last week? I said, so on Friday night last week, I'm watching television. and, And on television, national news says, we're closer to Armageddon than we've been for 60 years. Should should that scare you? If you're not a believer, it should scare the pants off of you. It's true. The threat is real, okay? Why am I not scared? Because I have the assurance of eternal life. And I know that these things have to happen. I know that in order for us to get, you know, the little poster in the, in the mall, you are here and you, you got to go to here. Well, we are here and to get where we have to go, things have to go crazy. And they're going crazy just exactly like Jesus said. I mean, how he's outlined it, right? On Wednesday night, I'm watching the news. The newscaster comes, national news in the United States says, there are three cities in the United States that will run out of water entirely by December. If something doesn't, and and then this, newscaster not a christian says you know friends we can live without a lot of things we can do without a lot of things but there's some things we can't actually do without and water is obviously one of them now again is this alarming could this frighten us is this scary stuff it sure could be if we didn't know that jesus has them He knows we're here, friends, but he actually has us here. See, you've actually been chosen to live in this time. This is the amazing thing. You were picked 
to live in this time. The, the ancients wanted to live in this day. Everyone's wanted to live in this day. And yet some of us don't want to live in this day. <laughs> it's like, okay, you could live here. No, no, no. Hey, friends, this is an amazing calling that God has given you. An opportunity to be one of the faithful end times believers. It's an amazing opportunity, an amazing calling that God has given to us. Just I want to set, set some of the facts straight uh, on the second coming. The fact is, number one, just simply straight up clear from the scripture, he is coming back. Okay? So that's the number one most important reality. Jesus is coming back. He will come down from heaven. Number two, when Jesus arrives, the whole earth is going to know it. Okay? He's, he's, he's going to come with, a, it's not going to be a, a quiet thing. It's not going to be a mysterious thing. It's not going to be a hidden thing. It's not going to be Jesus came back for a few little people. The scripture is very clear. Everyone is going to know it when he comes back. So you don't have to wonder, you know, about that. Some of the challenge was these people were a little bit concerned about had he already come back. That's what he's writing to them. Had he already come. Okay, the graves will actually explode with life. The dead in Christ will rise first, as we've already talked about. And so this is going to be a clear reality. Boom, they are gone. Okay, Believers will become like rocket ships. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. These things are going to happen for sure. It's what's known as the rapture. It's a Latin term. It doesn't actually appear in the Bible. The concept, what we've just read, it, the word describes a concept. The concept is everybody goes flying up in the air, and that's the word rapture, okay? A carrying off. Now, the rapture and the second coming are not necessarily the same event. I'm going to give you three popular views, the three main views of when. So remember, again, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. So the three main views of when the rapture is going to happen and, and we're framing the, the conversation theologically here. The three views are what you would call pre-tribulation rapture. So the Bible it speaks about, and I'm going to show you here in just a moment, the tribulation or mid, in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation post. The tribulation period is, is actually defined for us, outlined for us, and spoken of in the book of Revelation. It is clearly, and there's no debate on this, a seven-year period. Okay? Theologians don't, don't bait, debate largely over this. It's largely received. It's a seven-year period of time. Now, 
The fact is, and this is again hard to face if you don't actually see it through the lens of Scripture. But the reality is, friends, let's take ourselves apart from this context that we're believers here tonight, okay? Imagine yourself living in this world right now with all the things that we know are going on and not having any hope. Because the truth is, a tribulation is coming over this earth. It's not stoppable. Where, where do we see it? How does the world talk about it? It talks about it in the sense of global warming. It talks about it in the sense of famine, global food shortage. It talks about it in the sense of nuclear threat. There is a tribulation that is clearly coming over this earth. But the fact is, is that this is all within God's plan. And that's where I come back to your hope. These are not easy things to talk about. These are not easy things to deal with in our own hearts, but they are made possible because we have hope and we know that the one who actually has told us for thousands of years what we're seeing happen right in front of our eyes. This should give us greater confidence in our faith as well. Okay? The tribulation's broken up into two periods, three and a half years. Okay? Three and a half, three and a half is seven. In the middle of the three and a half years, Daniel described what is called the abomination of, of desolation. And what the abomination of desolation is, is the Antichrist, the one who is anti-church, anti-God, anti-righteousness, you know, anti-truth, is going to actually stand in the temple in Jerusalem and proclaim that he himself is God, okay? And then you have the second three and a half years, which intensifies in the tribulation. So the question is, the theological question, the discussion, eschatological discussion is, does the church get taken out before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation, and the taking out is that rapture, right? Now you have a view, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're forming a view. And whatever view you have, I respect. But here's the thing that I want you to think about tonight. That's called the Great Tribulation. So the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation rapture. That's how it sort of breaks down in a very simplified version of it, okay? I actually went to school. I was trained and actually served on the staff of, a, of the man who wrote the series Left Behind, Tim F. LaHaye. He was a pre-tribulation rapture teacher. In fact, he built his ministry on the pre-tribulation rapture. I actually respected him greatly. He's a man of God and, and had a wonderful ministry. But I don't personally agree with him. You might, and that's okay. 
I don't, I have not put my trust in a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I hope you're right. And I will be glad for you to go when we're going up in the air. Hey, Pastor Kevin, you were wrong. I'll, I'll repent. However, if I'm right, and you and I have to go through at least some of this, if not all of it, there's only one way to be prepared. And that is to actually get your mind and your heart set on the fact that there could be trouble ahead and you might have to endure it. And you might have to actually learn how to trust Jesus in ways you've never known. Because the reality is, is that what's going to come on this earth is going to test everyone. And many believers throughout history have had to face very, very challenging things. In fact, we have brothers and sisters around the world that we all know couldn't even meet like this, right? And so the fact is, as I look at the church today in general, we've become, in general, very flabby, very weak, very me-centered, what am I going to get out of this? What is Jesus going to do for me? How do I benefit by being a Christian instead of actually understanding that this is really all about the king and that it's about surrendering our lives in service to him and giving our lives to him? That's a whole different thing, friends. Okay, so we're, all, we're almost done. The game will actually be over at that time, and so will we ever be with the Lord. At the, end of the, at the end of that time, okay, the seven years, virtually it's over. There's a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, but we're gone. Those of us who are here, one way or another, we're going to be gone. We won't be a part of that other stuff because we'll be with the Lord in that sense forever. The second coming should encourage believers not divide us. There's no reason for us to fight over this or to get upset. You know, there, there are people who'd get very upset with what I've just told you tonight, that, that I don't fully agree with the pre-tribulation rapture. You might be one of them. It's okay. I, I'm not meaning to upset you. I'm actually meaning to prepare you and hope that it would cause us to actually want to fully prepare ourselves. I believe, and the Lord put this on my heart in 2017, my own congregation in Surrey. I stood before him one Sunday morning and I said, I, I believe that the Lord has spoken to me and the number one thing that I'm supposed to do from here on out is toughen you up. Now, I didn't mean that in any cocky kind of way or that, you know, I'm some sort of, you know, he-man Christian. What I meant was the church in North America has gotten way too weak. And the reality is, is that even what we're seeing in Canada, listen, what's happening in Canada is far more severe than what's happening in the United States right now. And there is a refining going on in the church in Canada. There is a persecution already that has, has risen up in this country. 
In the 25 years that I've been here, it has changed radically. The, the flavor towards Christians, the animosity towards Christians, the, the hatred towards Christians, towards the Bible, towards the truth has grown significantly in this time. It is not easy to be a follower of uh, an open follower of Jesus in this day. But God called you for this hour. He called you for this time. He a it's actually a privilege. It's actually an honor that you and I are part of this day. And we want to step into that honor. Let me ask you as we begin to close down tonight. Where are you at? When we come to this, these two subjects, because they're actually kind of closely related, aren't they? If, if you're afraid of death, then you're also afraid of the second coming. Very likely. Where are you tonight? How has this conversation impacted you in, in your heart? There should, there should be some, you know, we're talking serious stuff. There should be some stuff there. This isn't easy to talk about, that's for sure. But there's a difference between it being a little uneasy and being afraid, being uncertain in your heart about all of this. And I'd come back tonight to say, hey, remember what I said? You could actually get over that right here, right now, tonight. Not by you touching someone who's dead, but allowing someone who was dead, now alive, touching you. And he wants to do that. But you've got to open your heart to him. In opening your heart to him, you actually ready yourself for, begin to ready yourself for what's ahead. And he wants to help you because he's going to be with you every step of the way. And that's why you don't have to fear. Let's pray. If, if you wouldn't mind, I'd ask you if we could all bow our heads tonight as we're closing this time out. And I want more than anything else for you to have confidence and assurance in this, in this hour, in this moment, in this time. And I want that because that's what God wants. God wants you to have assurance. He wants you to know that he is with you. I, I want you to go back. I want you to think through what we've been talking about. I want you to think through what we've been thinking about, about what's happening in the world around us. And everything that we've been talking about checks out. It's happening. We can't stop it. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. I can't change it. You can't change it. It's where we're at. It's who we are. It's where we live. And it doesn't matter if you go to another country. It's happening everywhere. Which brings us to the place of do we have assurance? Because you can have this hope so deep in your hearts that you actually move against this fear and this fear dissipates and in fact these things give you confidence because you know that what God said is going to happen. And so I come tonight and I say, do you know Jesus?
Not do you know about him. Some of you have known about him your whole lives. But do you actually know him? Have you trusted him? Have you put your trust in him? Let that sink in. And I'm inviting you right now to seize this opportunity if you haven't. Listen, if there's fear in your heart about death, it is an indicator that you're either not understanding the gospel or the power of God or you haven't yet received him. Either way, I'd encourage you to make that, make set a marker tonight if that's the case. Set a marker, put a post in the ground, so to speak. This is the day that I trusted Christ. This is the day that I gained assurance of my salvation. I'm going to pray just a very simple prayer. You've heard some of you heard me share it before. And I invite you to pray it in your heart with me right now. Lord Jesus, very simply call out, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And the best I know know how, Lord, I'm giving my life to you tonight. I want to be your child. Listen, don't let anything get in the way. Don't let any aspiration, don't let any thought, don't let any idea of what you want to be get in the way. You'll lay down your life. If you'll receive him, you'll have a life like none other because you'll be living it under the glory of God. If you're praying that with me tonight, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Be courageous. Raise your hand up as you're receiving Christ, opening your heart to him. If you're hearing him, don't hesitate. Lord, I'm thanking you for my brothers and sisters tonight here. I'm thanking you for this church family. I'm thanking you for this pastor and his wife. I'm thanking you for this leadership. I'm thanking you that they have a sincere faith and that they're growing in it. Lord, I'm praying that you will strengthen them and encourage them. I'm praying, Father, that that we bind fear from our lives. Lord, there's a lot of crazy things going on. And they can be they can be crazy making, they can be fear making, they can be anxiety. We bind that and we release, I release over this congregation a greater faith and trust and strength. I'm praying, Father, that witness will come out of this group, this body. Father, give us courage to simply Ask people what they think about the current events. Friends, can I encourage you that? Just get that conversation started there. Gee, what do you think about what's going on? What is it? How does it make you feel? How, what are you thinking about this food shortage talk and this global warming talk? Just, just get them talking. And then as you're discerning, point them back to Jesus and his word. And the fact that he said all of this would happen and that he loves them. 
Lord, we want to be used of you. And so we committed to you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.